Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays on the Podbean app, which you can download onto your smartphone. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N and is available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866-609-3711. All right. This is, <laughs> this is the mouse that doesn't work. This is episode number 28 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Thursday, November 28th. Yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious last November's presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't let me say that on the radio. And yes, there's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support us financially, go to DocWashburnShow.com and click on the Become a Patron button. Speaking of which, we were going to thank uh, some of the patrons here. I had something. Uh, oh, yeah, here we are. I want to thank uh, the the, uh, the patrons that we've heard from so far. I, I don't really have their names. I just have their their screen names. Lee Word, Billy Shee, and Dr. L. Fincher. So thank you very much uh, to the, the patrons that have chipped in so far. We appreciate that. And for that, for that matter. For that matter, we want to thank our sponsors. We definitely want to thank our sponsors. Art Wilborn over at uh, MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. Uh, Dr. Doctors J.R. and Tanya Crabtree over at TurnMyPowerOn.com. And soon, Red River Your Way will be a sponsor for the program. Um, one of the things we, we have found in the, uh, the shortages and the supply chain issues going on is that even people who are trying to buy new cars are sometimes having to go across several state lines to buy cars. And all of a sudden, that has made some local car dealers national sponsors. So we look forward to uh, getting Red River your way on the Doc Washburn Show uh, very soon, and we appreciate that. So we're keeping an eye, we're keeping an eye on the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. It's, uh, it's very troubling, very troubling that the jury didn't take about eight minutes to come back and say not guilty on all five counts. Very troubling that uh, you have loud, violent-sounding protesters right outside the courthouse. Wouldn't doubt that that is uh, troubling some of the jurors. Now, about a half an hour into the program today, we're going to talk about one of the 435 United States representatives in the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, that will be French Hill, who's representing Central Arkansas which is where I still live. It's where I used to do a, a local radio talk show. Um, and 
we'll talk about why he so richly deserves to be challenged in next May's Republican primary for Congress, and we will introduce to you that challenger. So that's coming up. In the meantime, the Kyle Rittenhouse situation is troubling on so many different fronts. And we go to the great Miranda Devine over the New York Post. She has a new article out, 10 debunked heinous lies about Kyle Rittenhouse that the media is still running with. Still running with. And she says, of all the willful lies and omissions in the media's coverage of the Steele dossier, Officer Brian Sicknick on January 6th at the Capitol, the Covington High School kids, Jussie Smollett, the Wuhan China Virology Lab, Hunter Biden's laptop, and so on and so on and so on. Nothing beats the evil propaganda peddled about Kyle Rittenhouse. They try to make the Rittenhouse case about race, but it's about class. Punching down at the white working class son of a single mother because they don't see him as fully human and it makes them feel good. They lie about him because they can lie about him. The central media narrative is that Kyle Rittenhouse is a white supremacist whose mother drove him across state lines with an AR-15 to shoot Black Lives Matter protesters. All lies. All lies. John Heilman, MSNBC's national affairs analyst, told a typical lie when he said, a white Trump-supporting MAGA-loving Blue Lives Matter social media partisan 17 years old picks up a gun, drives from one state to another with the intent to shoot people. All lies. So let's go through 10 lies about Kyle Rittenhouse already debunked in court. Number one, he killed two black Black Lives Matter protesters, all three of the men that he shot in self-defense during violent riots in Kenosha, Wisconsin, on August 25th last year were white. Number two, he crossed state lines. Okay? He lived 20 miles from Kenosha in Antioch, Illinois, with his mother and sisters. But his father, grandmother, aunt, uncle, cousins, and best friend live in Kenosha. He had a job as a lifeguard in Kenosha and worked a shift on August 25th before helping clean graffiti left by rioters at a local school. There, he and his friend, did you get that? He worked a shift as a lifeguard, his job in Kenosha. At the local school, he and his friend were invited to join other adults who had been asked by the owners of a used car lot in Kenosha to guard the property after 100 cars had been torched the previous night when police abandoned the town of Kenosha to rioters. Kyle took his gun to protect himself since the rioters were violent and armed, including, for instance, Antifa medic Gage Grosskreutz, who lunged at him with a loaded Glock pointed at his head before he was shot in the arm. Number three lie that's been debunked. Kyle Rittenhouse took an AR-15 across state lines. 
Esquire magazine accused Kyle Rittenhouse of terrorist tourism. False. His rifle was kept in a safe at his best friend's stepfather's house in Kenosha. Number four. On the top ten list of lies about Kyle Rittenhouse that have been debunked, the gun was illegal. Wrong. Under Wisconsin law, he was entitled to possess the the AR-15 as a 17-year-old. The judge dismissed the gun charge, which the prosecution never should have brought in the first place. Number five on the list of lies about Kyle Rittenhouse that have already been debunked. Rittenhouse's mother drove him across state lines to the riot. False. 46-year-old Wendy Rittenhouse never went to Kenosha. She slept late the morning of August 25th after working a 16-hour shift at a nursing home near her, near her home in Antioch, Illinois. Kyle had already gone to his job in Kenosha when she woke up. His job, remember, he worked in Kenosha. Number six. On the list of lies about Kyle Rittenhouse that have already been debunked, he was an active shooter who took the gun to a riot looking for trouble. MSNBC's Joe Scarborough said, a 17-year-old kid just running around shooting and killing protesters who drove across state lines with an AR-15 and started shooting people up. On Friday... After evidence in court already had debunked his talking points, Scarborough called Rittenhouse a, quote, self-appointed militia member unloading 60 rounds, unquote. When the defense called out the lie in closing arguments, Scarborough had the gall to tweet that he was embarrassed for the lawyer. You know, I don't know if you're much of a history buff, but I'm old enough to remember a, young man named Nicholas Sandman. Young man from Covington Catholic High School, Covington, Kentucky, standing on the steps in front of the U.S. Capitol, minding his own business. It was the Capitol of the Supreme Court. I think it was the Capitol. And uh, there was a Native American lunatic chanting and screaming in his face, beating his drum so close that he almost hit him in the face. And a lot of people in the media told a lot of lies about Nicholas Sandman. And Nicholas Sandman um, sued a lot of them, got a lot of money. And Nicholas Sandman was in the, uh, he wrote an article in the UK Daily Mail yesterday saying, hey, Kyle, I'm here for you, brother. (laughs) So I, frankly, this is just me saying this. Just between you and me. I don't want this getting out. But I hope that after he's found not guilty, Kyle Rittenhouse sues Joe Scarborough for everything he has and gets it. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. See, I remember when Joe Scarborough used to be a U.S. congressman from Northwest Florida. And he was masquerading as a conservative. Well, that seems like an an eternity ago. Number seven in the list of lies that have been debunked about Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse is a white supremacist, as then-candidate Joe Biden labeled him in a tweet showing the teenager's photograph. When White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki 
was asked to explain why recently she slyly slimed Rittenhouse again without naming him, calling him a vigilante. In one story, The Intercept used the term white supremacist 16 times. The accusation has become holy writ, but there's zero evidence. The FBI scoured Kyle's phone and found nothing about white supremacy or malicious. All they saw were pro-police Blue Lives Matter posts from a kid who had been a police and fire department cadet, wanted to be a police officer or paramedic, and once sat near the front of a Trump rally. That was enough for the media, though, to brand him as a white supremacist. Number eight in the top ten list of lies about Kyle Rittenhouse that have been debunked. They said he flashed white power signs with Proud Boys. After spending three months in jail, Kyle was freed on $2 million bail two days after his 18th birthday last year and went to a bar for a beer with his mother and other adults, which is legal in Wisconsin. He posed for selfies with strangers at the bar, who the media say are Proud Boys, and was pictured making the OK sign with his thumb and forefinger. The false claim that this is a white supremacist sign comes from a 2017 hoax on the website 4chan to punk liberals who keep falling for it. By the way, Dementia Joe Biden uses the gesture frequently, the OK sign. Uh, Barack Obama's even used it. It was unwise to pose for the photo, perhaps, but it does not mean Kyle Rittenhouse is associated with white supremacists. Number nine, top ten list of lies that have been debunked about Kyle Rittenhouse. He wore surgical gloves to cover his fingerprints. This pearl was spread by Matthew Modine, another celebrity big mouth. Kyle wore gloves because he was giving first aid to protesters. His face was bare, so he was hardly hiding. Matthew Modine, Matthew Modine. Now, he's been in some big movies. I guess he's got some money, right? I hope Kyle sues him. And last but not least, number 10. In the list of top 10 lies about Kyle Rittenhouse that have already been debunked, Judge Bruce Schroeder, Schroeder is a Trumpy racist biased toward the defense. Now, this slur is based on the fact that the judge would not let the prosecution use the term victim Common practice when the jury has not ruled on a case. Judge told a lame joke about Asian food for lunch being held up by the supply chain crisis. And his phone's ringtone sounds like a 1980s ditty. Lee Greenwood played at Trump rallies. Ridiculous. In fact, Judge Schroeder is a Democrat. Has run. That's not loud enough. has run as a Democrat for the Wisconsin Senate and was first appointed by a Democrat governor. Bias was also perceived in what the Chicago Tribune said was his highly unusual decision to allow Kyle to draw names randomly out of a container at the end of the trial to determine which 12 of the 18 jurors would decide his fate. It's something the judge always does, by the way. On the second day of jury deliberations, Wednesday, 
The judge railed against media distortions, although he seemed most aggrieved about attacks on his reputation rather than Kyle's. He threatened to stop trials from being televised, but that's exactly the wrong solution. Only because the public was able to hear the evidence for themselves did they become aware of the malevolent dishonesty of the media coverage, which has threatened a fair trial and ensured riots if Kyle is justly acquitted. Now, that is the great Miranda Devine over New York Post article entitled 10 Heinous Lies About Kyle Rittenhouse Debunked. And we will uh, we'll get that up on my, uh, my Facebook page here in a little bit. A lot going on today, about 15 minutes away from the challenger to one U.S. representative, a guy named French Hill, who, who really, 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 really deserves a challenger. Now, there is a wonderful congresswoman from Colorado, Republican Lauren Boebert. And she was on the floor of the House of Representatives yesterday before the House voted to uh, censure a Republican representative named uh, Paul Gosar because he retweeted some anime video which was critical of Democrats. And Ms. Bobert, I think, pointed out how... Um, we have unequal justice in this country and definitely unequal justice in the U.S. House of Representatives. She represents uh, the Grand Junction, Pueblo, Steamboat Springs, Durango area of Colorado, the 3rd District. And I think we need to hear what she had to say. Policies are so pathetic and have done so poorly that the left has nothing else to do but troll the Internet looking for ways to get offended and then try to target members and strip them of their committees. This is a dumb waste of the House's time. But since the Speaker has designated the floor to discuss members' inappropriate actions, shall we? The Jihad Squad member from Minnesota has paid her husband, and not her brother husband, the other one, over a million dollars in campaign funds. Oh. This member is allowed on the Foreign Affairs Committee while praising terrorists. A Democrat chairwoman incited further violence in the streets outside of a courthouse. And then the cherry on top. My colleague and three-month presidential candidate from California, who is on the Intelligence Committee, slept with Fang Fang, a Chinese spy. Oh. Let me say that again. A member of Congress who receives classified briefings was Gentlemen sleeping with the Florida. enemy. This is unacceptable, and this would never Gentlemen be... Wow. See, that's, um, that's the kind of fire in the belly we need. You know what I'm saying? That's the kind of fire in the belly we need when it comes to Republican United States representatives. So I'm looking forward about uh, 10 or 12 minutes into introducing a challenger to 
one U.S. representative. Well, I guess when you look in the uh, the uh, your Funkin Wagnalls, your Webster's Dictionary there under Rhino, it, there's this picture. You know what I'm saying? So we'll talk about that. Speaking of fire in the belly, uh, Republican senator from Louisiana, Senator Kennedy, a little bit ago, we'll try to find the audio on this, was speaking to the Biden's nominee for comptroller of the currency, Saul Omarova. He said, I don't know whether to call you professor or comrade. Yeah. No, we've, we've had the audio in, in, in previous editions, previous podcasts of the Doc Washburn show of this um, woman who grew up in the Soviet Union and she wants to get rid of private banks, private bank accounts, wants the Fed to have control of your bank accounts so they can take your money away from you. She's a communist. She's a communist. Now, speaking of the whole deal there with... Um, with Lauren Boebert talking about uh, Ilhan Omar. Ilhan Omar replied out there on Twitter. Now you recall she is the Islamist, the Jihad fan, representing um, the Somalian district of... uh, Minnesota, in the U.S. House, she said, luckily my dad raised me right, otherwise I might have gone to the floor to talk about this insurrectionist who sleeps with a pervert. I am grateful I was raised to be a decent human and not a deprived person who shamefully defecates and defiles the House of Representatives. What does that mean? She got a lot of responses like this. You just talk trash about someone while claiming your dad raised you right. Well, you're anti-Semitic, anti-American, anti-freedom, vile, typical speech you give all the time says differently. Another response. Bruh, you married your brother. If that's raising you right, that's disgusting. Another response. You should head off for a... Romantic getaway with your brother husband. You need a break. Vermont is beautiful this time of year. (laughs) You're one to talk. You married your brother to commit immigration fraud. You hate the very country that gave you freedom. You and the rest of the anti-American left are a disgrace. Yeah. Oh, here's another one from Laverne Spicer. Decent human beings don't laugh at 9-11. That's right. Which she did. Which she did. Um, <clears throat> last but not least, uh, the uh, wonderful responses to the odious Ilhan Omar was John Cardillo, who said, you married your brother, then stole your current dude from his wife. You launder campaign contributions from donors through his consulting firm, and you both live off the money, might want to sit this one out, you terror-supporting, incestuous, home-wrecking grifter. And, you know, frankly, I, I, I admire 
Brother Cardillo's uh, restraint because it, uh, it could have been a lot worse. Could have been a lot worse. Now, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida is going to be doing a press conference today as he signs bills against vaccine mandates. Have you heard about this one? His press conference is going to be at Brandon Honda in Brandon, Florida. So I guess everybody's going to be saying, let's go, Brandon. Know what I'm saying, Holmes? You picking up one up and down? Okay. So Dinesh D'Souza says the House Democrats have stripped two Republicans from their committees. Marjorie Taylor Greene and Dr. Paul Gosar. When Republicans take the House, they should strip 10 Democrats from their committees. He says, I can provide the list and specify the offenses. In fact, 10 might just be the starting point. And um, we had the story yesterday of the January 6th QAnon shaman guy, the guy that painted his face and had the big furry Viking hat on. Sentenced to 41 months in federal prison yesterday after being held in solitary for 317 days. For what? Just walking through the Capitol. No violent crime alleged whatsoever. 41 months for a misdemeanor after 317 days in solitary. So, that brings to mind the question of the great Jim Benson over on Twitter who says, 41 months for walking through the Capitol and misdemeanor offense? Why is Ray Epps free? Ray Epps was the one on video encouraging people to go inside the Capitol the night before Trump's speech and 10 minutes before Trump's speech on January 6th. Do rules apply to federal assets? Because clearly, I mean, Ray Epps is a federal asset. And they have no intention of ever ever indicting this guy who is urging people to get into the Capitol. Know what I'm saying? Uh, Logan Hall over at Daily Caller has an interesting question today. seems very odd that the Rittenhouse trial occupies public airwaves 24-7 while the Glenn Maxwell trial, remember Epstein's old girl? The Glenn Maxwell trial happening at the same time, receives little coverage at all. Huh. Oh, I got to go back to one one more response uh, to Ilhan Omar, talking about how her dad raised her right. The great Marjorie Taylor Greene over there on Twitter says, you're the only member of Congress that broke federal immigration laws and married your brother, and you are too stupid to know when you should just be quiet. Clearly, you weren't raised right. Oh! <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. There is a pushback going on against attempts to take away our freedoms. There is a pushback going on, and there's been a pushback going on. You remember Obamacare? 
And Nancy Pelosi said, well, we're just going to have to pass it so you can see what's in it. Remember that? They called it the Affordable Care Act. Let me ask some. Has a so-called Affordable Care Act made your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high co-pays keep you from going to the doctor? Now, if you answered yes to any of these questions, you need to get a hold of my friend Art Wilborn over at MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. Art is a longtime fan of the Doc Washburn Show. He understands what we need. You go to MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, front and center, affordable plans. Save 30 to 50% on premiums. Personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, and no copays. Did you know such a thing was still possible in the year 2021? It is. An alternative to Obamacare? I'm all about it. Also, a really neat thing, when you work with Art Wilborn and MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, you get an insurance plan that will not insult your morality. An insurance plan that doesn't force you to do some of the things Obamacare does, like cover abortion and things like that, that would offend your deeply held religious beliefs. The website is myfamilyhealthplan.com. You go there, you book a free consultation. Art Wilborn will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Save money on your insurance at myfamilyhealthplan.com. Plan.com. You'll be glad you did. Absolutely. All right. Now, what I want to do before we get the primary challenger to French Hill on, I want to play for you some of the things that French Hill said on January 13th. Now, just to know that I'm not taking anything out of context here. The context for what you're going to hear is French Hill saying, look, um, trying to impeach Donald Trump a few days before he leaves office is, is not a good idea. It's a bad idea. But in that context, he's saying, but, you know, Trump did some bad stuff. Not going not gonna to sugarcoat that. In French Hill's mind, Trump did a lot of bad stuff, but Pelosi still shouldn't have impeached him. So what's, what is some of that bad stuff? Well, let's, uh, let's play some clips from French Hill's January 13th Facebook video. And then we'll talk about French and Liz Cheney, and then we'll bring on French's primary challenger, who I think should crush him in the Republican primary, May 24th, coming up. All right, here's French. After the horrific, catastrophic attack on the U.S. Capitol last week by a mob committed to disrupting the work of democracy, our nation is crying out for leadership. All right, January 6th was a setup by the feds. There was no horrific, catastrophic attack by a mob trying to thwart democracy. There were Capitol Hill police 
at some points, opening the doors wide open, saying, come on in. At other points, shooting flashbang grenades and tear gas at peaceful protesters in an attempt to rile them up. But French doesn't care about that. French probably hadn't even heard about that. Here's more. Leadership that works towards healing our wounds, both physical and spiritual. Yet a week after the capital crisis, instead of leadership, we have more divisive and inherently political brinkmanship. This includes President Trump claiming no responsibility for the toxic rhetorical environment that's directly related to the attacks of January 6th. You believe this garbage? The attacks. Yeah, there are people attacking like crazy, walking around taking selfies, staying within the rope lines. Toxic rhetoric? Now, this guy is a member of the United States House of Representatives. Out of a red state, Arkansas. Toxic rhetoric? What on earth is he talking about? Here's more. Have we not had enough recrimination and divisive rhetoric? Fingers pointing and responsibility not being taken? Dude, that's what you're doing. You're the one doing the recrimination. You're the one doing the finger pointing. I got to tell you, man. When, when a guy is out there accusing other people of doing what he's doing, the term tone deaf comes to mind. It's called not being able to read the room. Here's more from French Hill's Facebook video back on January 13th. After the final certification of the Electoral College on December 14th, when no reasonable path to victory was evident, President Trump should have welcomed President-elect Biden to the White House. Yeah, just ignore the fact the election was stolen, right, French? You know, this reminds me of Trey Gowdy. Except that Trey Gowdy talked a good game. Less than a week after the election was stolen, Trey Gowdy was on his podcast talking about how Trump should just go ahead and roll over and uh, take it. <sighs> rhinos, rhinos all, rhinos. Got to get rid of rhinos. Just last week, I talked about the fundamental importance of the United States Constitution and its requirement that the House and Senate meet and count the properly certified electoral college votes from our states. Properly certified. Do you hear this garbage? Properly certified. By the way, whistleblower, Delaware County, Pennsylvania, Video's out today. We'll play some of the audio from it later about election officials destroying evidence. Destroying evidence. French Hill doesn't know about that. He doesn't care about that. He doesn't want to hear about that. Properly certified. Give me a break. Five states. Five states. Stop counting at the same time on election night. Right? Remember that? And Fulton County, Georgia, that's Atlanta, 
They sent everybody home because they said there was a water main break, which never happened. And once they sent everybody home, they started pulling suitcases of ballots out from under uh, tables there in the State Farm Arena. And what about the tractor-trailer truck full of ballots went from New York to Pennsylvania? And what about uh, in Philly where Jenna Ellis and Rudy Giuliani had a court order a court order demanding they be allowed into where the ballots were being counted and the court order was ignored? And what about in Philly and Detroit where they put up uh, cardboard over the windows so nobody there Nobody could observe the counting of the ballots. Uh, I could go on. What about the Arizona audit that came out a couple of months ago showing the massive cheating in Arizona? Chris Hill doesn't care about any of that. The president and his post-election fiction and folly suggesting a landslide victory. And a- whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, we saw stadiums full of people for Trump. We saw impromptu motorcades for Trump in deep blue places like New York City and Hollywood, California. And we saw Biden not able to get more than 100 people at a lot of places. And this guy... Calls himself a Republican, French Hill, U.S. Representative out of Central Arkansas. Has the gall to say this? The president and his post-election fiction and folly suggesting a landslide victory in a stolen election, in my view, sullies his four years of economic and national security accomplishments. Wow. Man, when you're wrong, you're wrong. And, and French Hill look going for a Nobel Prize for being wrong. This is nuts. I got one more. And this president's rhetoric in the days leading up to Wednesday's attack was unforgivable. You going to vote for that again? This president's rhetoric leading up to the attack? There's no attack on the Capitol. The attack was when Ashley Babbitt was murdered. Unforgivable. French Hill, who still has an R by his name, says Donald Trump's rhetoric leading up to January 6th is unforgivable. Now, he went on months later to brag about voting to keep Liz Cheney in Republican leadership of the U.S. House of Representatives. Liz Cheney who had voted to impeach Trump. He said, oh, she's an outstanding conservative. Known her for 30 years. Really? Really? Guys, do we have the audio on, uh, on um, French Hill with Liz Cheney? If we don't, we can always play it later. There's no big. No big deal. Open up this flash drive. Okay, right there. Right there. Okay, let's see if we can play this. French Hill and Liz Cheney. Uh, Liz Cheney's been my friend for a quarter century. We worked together with President Bush 
I have valued Liz's work ethic, her intellect on foreign policy, defense policy, for really uh, almost three decades now. And it's she's just first rate. Our America is so lucky to have her in Congress representing Wyoming. And it's great in campaigns, Jay. Your friends come together. You know, that's the beauty of campaigning is it brings out all your friends to work with you. And uh, I love the fact that John Bozeman and uh, Liz Cheney are on the campaign trail for me in White County. Uh, it makes my day. And we're having a great time calling out those final voters. Come on out here and uh, help French Hill go back to represent the people of Arkansas. Wow. John Bozeman there too, huh? John Bozeman is a United States Senator from Arkansas. He's got some primary opponents too, but that's a whole other show. That's a whole other show. All right. Um, let us see if we can get um, the Republican challenger to U.S. Representative Rhino French Hill. Let's see. We're going to hit the blue button and see if we can get uh, Republican challenger on here. It says allow. Click on that. All right. All uh, right. It's my honor to welcome Colonel Conrad Reynolds to the Doc Washburn Show. How are you, sir? I am doing great, Doc. Excellent. Excellent. So why don't you tell my listeners, uh, some listening live, some listening on the podcast later, um, why you are running to challenge the incumbent French Hill in the Republican primary uh, for U.S. House Representative 2nd District from Arkansas. Well, thank you for giving me that opportunity. Let me start off by saying the the beginning of your show was incredible because you set it up just right. If anybody in Arkansas, the second district, wants to vote for French Hill after they've listened to what you just played, um, they're gonna they're asking for more of the same of what we're getting from the weak, spineless Republicans who are sitting right now in Congress, and we need to do something about it. Look, a couple of months ago, Doc, um, I was in Atlanta with a for a business meeting, and I was in a restaurant. And in the restaurant, there was an older lady, a senior, who came back and sat in the uh, booth right behind me. And within a couple of minutes, some other ladies in the restaurant started screaming. And everybody was wanting to know what was going on. And I saw a lot of people look, and they were pointing at this lady. And she was standing up out of the booth now, and she was turning blue. I mean, dark blue. Oh, my. She was choking. She was choking. Oh, my. And... And I looked around, and nobody was doing anything. And there was about probably 40 or 50 people in the restaurant. Well, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just giving you a a reason, a story of what happened. I jumped out of the booth, and I quickly gave her the Heimlich hug. And I told her, I said, I I was scared because she was older, and I did not want to hurt her or break a rib. But I was able to do that and dislodge the food. And and she came over and thanked me for saving her life, and everybody else was thanking me. But I thought about this is exactly what's going on in Congress. You've got people who have who will take action when it's necessary and do the right thing and not worry about if they're going to get sued or worry about uh, the consequences. You have to you just do what's right. And everybody in there were pointing and saying, she's choking. Someone do something. She's choking. They could point out the problem. Yeah. But, but they could not act on it. And that's exactly what we've got going on in Congress right now. And that's why we are electing people who sit there and point and tell us what the problem is. And, and I, I don't know anybody better than French Hill who can say, hey, look at the problem. Look at the border. Look at the crisis. I've been there six times. Or look at this problem. Look at the spending. But the solution is right in front of your face is to vote conservatively 
and fix these things, not just vote, but actually produce legislation that will fix these things. And they were unwilling to do it. So that's why I'm getting in this race. I, I ran against French in 2014. It was an open seat when Tim Griffin stepped down. Yeah. And, uh, and Hey, uh, French won. Um, he had a lot of money behind him. He, he won and I supported him like any Republican would do. We support the person that wins for in the primary to run against the general election. Um, in the last eight years, I've been extremely disappointed that he has not taken a leadership role and actually fixed a lot, some of the problems that he himself has said he would fix. For example, he said that the number one threat against America back in 2014 was the debt and politicians who stay too long and spend too much. Yeah. Well, our, well, I mean, our debt now has gone from 17 trillion back when he ran to almost 30 trillion today. So by his own definition, he failed against the biggest threat against America. That's one. Number two, um, he decided that uh, he would continue to vote to keep raising the cap limit. So now our our debt is so unbelievable, it's going to take us decades to climb out of this. But he still points to the Democrats about their spending. But he's the one who voted for it, for all of it over these last eight years. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's correct that the Democrats are spending like crazy, but if he's voting in concert with them, then he's part of the problem. He is. He is. is you know, one thing about primaries and primaries is where the Republican voter, the conservative, really has an opportunity to make a difference. You don't have much of a difference in the general. It's just it's status quo. Yeah. It's either Democrats or, or Republicans. But on the primary, you get an opportunity to really pick someone who is going to be your voice in Congress. And I tried my best. I, I watched from afar. I did not get involved. But I think eight, eight years is enough. As the old TV show is, eight is enough. And I think that applies right here. So, Colonel Conrad Reynolds, um, what if people want to find out more about how to uh, support you uh, in your primary challenge to the Rhino French Hill, do you have a, a website up? I do. Uh, my website is elect conrad.com elect conrad.com and 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 i like to say really the, the strength of my campaign is really determined by the people who understand what's at stake in this election yeah and what's at stake is we're losing our country i mean i don't say that lightly we really are everybody can see it the craziness that's going on in washington dc and all of our republican politicians are just rolling over and and i don't know why but uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go up there and I'm going to fight for the things that I believe in. We got to finish the wall. They could have finished the wall when we we had uh, one 24 month period when Trump first got in, Doc, from 2017 and 18 to accomplish all the things that we wanted to accomplish. We didn't need all the executive orders if Congress had done what they were supposed to have uh, supposed to do. Yeah. They could have funded. They could have funded the whole wall. Every illegal crossing right now. The millions that have come across is directly upon the shoulders of the Republicans who didn't vote to fund the wall. And that is my biggest, one of my biggest problems. The wall has got to be fixed immediately. We got to fix immigration and we cannot, these, these vaccine mandates. Okay. I'm absolutely against the government telling me to inject something into my children's arms or my wife's or whatever. That's experimental that we know that they're emergency use authorization only. They should not have the authority. And my question is, why is Congress exempt? I know they don't fall under the executive branch, but I haven't seen any of them saying, yeah, but I'm going to mandate it for my staff. I haven't seen any 
any Republican say that. It's because they don't believe in it, but they're willing to let this president do it to everybody else. Yeah. And that, and that, that is the problem we have, and we need to fix that immediately. Amen. You know, part of the problem, I think, with, um, <clears throat> pardon me, the wall not being fully funded uh, under President Trump the first two years when Republicans control both houses right, is you have rhinos in charge of the Republican caucus, either in the Senate or the House. And I remember in, in 2014 when uh, French Hill and several of the other ones uh, got elected to, to the House from Arkansas, and then early 2015, January 2015, right. they all voted to keep John Boehner as Speaker of the House. And, and I, I tried to hold them accountable for that because uh, Boehner was everything that was wrong with with uh, politics in Washington. And then when Boehner left, Paul Ryan, and Paul Ryan is as pro-amnesty, pro-illegal immigration as any Democrat. And, of course, you know, he wasn't going to work with Trump. Um, and, and now, looming in the wings, you have um, uh, Kevin McCarthy, who's uh, renting uh, space from uh, Frank Luntz, who was a horrible liberal pollster. Um, you know, if you defeat French Hill in the primary, then you're going to be the next congressman because, uh, you know, Arkansas is not going to vote for a Democrat. Uh, would you would you say, hey, right now, I'm, I'm not going to vote for McCarthy to be speaker. we got to have a conservative. Let me think about that. No, I'm never going to vote for Kevin McCarthy to be speaker. I mean, listen, this is the problem we've got in Congress. These people have been up there forever, and they're, in, they're part of the swamp, and they act like they're not. It's like Liz Cheney, just like the, the clips you just played. Yeah. I mean, it, that, they're all cut from the same cloth when they get there. And, and people have got to be willing to say, hey, look, I may only serve two, I may only serve four years, but we're going to get the things in that are necessary. Look, I believe that President Trump is going to be reelected in 2024. I really honest and, and the deep amount, I believe it in my soul. And I think that we need to start building a wall of conservative people who are going to vote the right way. We start in 2022. We start right here in the second district with me. Then we're going to move on in 2024, and we're going to get other rhinos out so that when Trump comes in in 2024, we're going to be able to implement the things that we as conservatives have been asking for for a long, long time. I want a balanced budget amendment. I want term limits. These are things that are critical. We can get rid of a lot of the problems in Washington if we just had term limits, but it, it is a booger to try to get done. I know that. Oh, yeah. But we can do it. But we can do it. We can do it. If we start picking the right person in the primaries, and that's what I'm asking. I'm asking people to to look at my campaign, look at my background. I, if, if anybody reeks of America first, I tell them I am unapologetically American first, period. And, and I stand for those principles. Everything Trump wanted to do, I believe in. I mean, we need energy independence in the worst way. I mean, I could go on and on of all the different things, but I think if people just realize that if they want an America first candidate, someone who's actually going to be voting for them and not special interest and not just a few hundred people in downtown Little Rock, I'll be voting for everybody in my district for the good of this country. And that's why I'm asking them to please don't sit back. Don't get back and don't say, you know, well, half a half, half conservative is good enough for me. We cannot have that. We need a hundred percent. And I Amen. want them to deliver that if they vote for me. Amen. We're speaking with uh, Colonel Conrad Reynolds. Colonel is not a nickname, okay? He is a U.S. Army retired colonel. 
He was a military intelligence officer in the U.S. Army for 29 years, combat veteran, awarded uh, Defense Superior Service Medal, the Bronze Star, uh, and the Central Intelligence Agency SEAL Medallion. The past 12 years, Conrad Reynolds has continued to serve our country as a military consultant in more than eight overseas countries. Uh, he has an MBA from Toro University, is alumnus of the University of Central Arkansas, born and raised in Arkansas, the son of an Arkansas State Police criminal investigator, and Conrad Reynolds is the founder and past director of the Arkansas Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Uh, sir, speaking of your um, your resume here, you, you have to have some concerns about uh, the current state of our military. I'm, I'm in... <laughs> The concern is a, is a really um, understatement. Uh, our military ha- has been um, undermined by the woke people that start, it started in Barack Obama's years. And what most people don't understand is Barack Obama, when he said he wanted to fundamentally change this country, what he was doing when everybody was looking at everything else, he was imp- hiring people and promoting people with his ideology in all of the federal agencies, the FBI, the CIA, the DIA, that's what he was doing. And now all of these people are what we call SES, the senior executive service. Okay. They are like the general level officers of the civilians and they are implementing. That's why we have a corrupt FBI. That's why we have a corrupt uh, CIA. That's why we have a corrupt uh, IRS Warner, remember her uh, with all the Tea Party thing that she was doing and making sure that 501 C's didn't get a Lois Lerner. It was her name. These are the things that uh, people don't understand. And we're going to, and in the military, they were promoting people to general level officer and got rid of a lot of them. Uh, McChrystal, remember, got rid of McChrystal, got rid of General Flynn because they weren't going along with the program. And what's going on now is reprehensible and what happened in afghanistan is a complete direct result of that speaking of afghanistan yep we have who knows how many american citizens that were left behind over there intentionally um we also have a whole bunch of um uh legal american residents a lot of people don't understand this but there are a number of people who are not american citizens but came to the United States legally and got jobs with the U.S. government, legal American residents, uh, they've been left behind. Uh, and it's all intentional. And I, I don't know. I mean, you got the military experience clearly um, deserting Bagram Air Base, you know, when there's still Americans left in there uh, and setting everything up to go out of a, a civilian airport in the the middle of a large city was just a disastrous decision. Um, What does it tell you about this current administration, uh, the way they got out of Afghanistan? Well, uh, let's go back just a couple of minutes and I'll explain. I was there in in Bagram in January uh, of 2002. Uh, So I know it very well. And And I know all of... Kabul and all over Afghanistan. I was able to travel everywhere, Tangier Valley, uh, Majah Sharif. I went to all those locations. I'll be honest with you. I I said in 2011, 
I told John Bozeman, actually, I said, we, we need to pull out at that point when we killed UBL, because I never thought that Afghanistan was ever going to change. Yeah. And I said, I did not think that uh, it would be like us putting our hand in a bucket of water. And when we pulled it out, it's going to be like we were never there. We could save $50 billion a year by not being there, because it's not going to change anything. That said, and I've said that for the last several years, but I also said that even a second lieutenant could have planned a better evacuation than what they planned. It's almost like they wanted it to be a huge debacle. And we had 13 service members lose their lives because of the poor planning that was, that was done. And nobody's been held accountable for that. And I have a real, real problem with that. And that's something that we need to look into. And as far as the people being left behind, it's unforgivable. I don't know what else to say. It's unforgivable to leave U.S. citizens behind. We said we would never do it. But this government did it, or this administration, let's put it that way. Yeah, no question about it. They, they certainly did, and it has to be in, intentional, and it's it's an outrage. Um, it is an outrage, and I, and I want to hold people accountable. All these people who broke the law, whether it was Russia, whether it was Russia, 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 and and uh, or the uh, fake quid pro quo with Ukraine. All these people who lied and orchestrated that need to be held accountable. And I really don't see very many Republicans coming up and, and saying, hey, uh, we need to really investigate this. I, I just don't see it. I don't know why they're not doing it. But I will. You're going to have somebody there in Congress that will do that. Now, we're speaking with uh, Colonel Conrad Reynolds. He will be the Republican primary challenger to our incumbent rhino, French Hill, coming up May 24th. Speaking of holding people accountable. So January 6th is looking more and more like a setup by the feds. Yep. Um, There is now video of Capitol Hill police uh, shooting uh, tear gas and flashbang grenades into a totally peaceful crowd. Um, No police officers were killed on January 6th, but uh, a couple of women who were protesters were killed. One, Ashley Babbitt. uh, Babbitt. The the other, uh, Roseanne... um, Gosh, I'm, I, uh, I, I lost her last name. Starts with a B, and I, I apologize. But anyway, Roseanne Boyland, uh, down in the uh, the tunnel where there was uh, fierce fighting going on, and she was crushed. Um, but uh, hundreds of people have been charged, mostly with nonviolent misdemeanors. Uh, one, yesterday, the, the guy they call the QAnon uh, shaman, the guy with the Yep. The mental issues. He was a naval Chewbacca, veteran. Whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Yeah, yeah. They call him Chewbacca or whatever. Yeah, he got, yeah. what was it? I mean, uh, he got they just f- hammered him. 41 months. And right. all he did was walk around in the Capitol and, and you know, have paint on his face and have some kind of, uh, 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 you know, furry Viking thing on his head. 41 months yesterday. Um, who's going to be held accountable? You know, there's video of a guy named Ray Epps urging people, urging people the night before and then shortly before on the day of to get into that Capitol. And turns out he is a federal asset. He was on the um, the FBI's list of 20 most wanted for the first few months until everybody figured out he's a federal asset and they're trying to act like he doesn't exist anymore. Um, should there be committee hearings to hold whoever is responsible for what happened uh, accountable and, and what's to be done? I mean, nobody certainly not French Hill, nobody's talking about the political prisoners uh, that the Biden Justice Department is keeping some of them in solitary confinement now for for 10 months and denied bail, and they're denied bail because he's 
these uh, liberal prosecutors from Biden's DOJ tell the liberal judges, right. well, he'd be dangerous to the community because he agrees with Trump on the election. Um, that is the whole purpose of this whole exercise is to vilify everybody who voted for Trump. That's all this is. These are political prisoners. I mean, I mean, I've seen it in other countries. That's exactly what we got going on here. And, uh, and we do need to investigate it. But here's my key question. The key question I have is that the FBI knew that this was going to happen. They had informants. They knew all this was going to happen. All this was going to happen. They also knew it in, I think it was Michigan. Wasn't it Michigan? Was yeah. the governor there? Yeah. They knew that in July. They knew that. And what did they do when they found out? And, and of, the, of the 18, 12 of the 18 plotters, 12 of them were FBI agents or informants. My point is, is that what did they do with that information? They immediately arrested him and told the governor about what was going to happen. Yeah. Why didn't anybody tell President Trump? Right. Exactly. Why wasn't he notified that, hey, by the way, there's this, this riot that's going to occur, and do not tell people go to the Capitol. They didn't do that. So that should raise, they should raise flags on everybody's radar. There's a problem here. And, yes, I want, I want to look at that. A hundred percent. And this January 6th commission that they've got going on now is complete BS. And of course, guess who voted for it? French Hill. You know, he yep. voted for it. He yep. voted for the commission, which actually resulted into what we have now, which is the Pelosi witch hunt. And that's what we've got. And uh, unfortunately, who is the Republican on there that's, that's saying her is good old Liz Cheney, yep. French Hill's friend. And so, yeah, I have a real problem with all that. And everybody in Arkansas should have a problem with that. No and question. So, uh, and so that's why I got to plug this one more time. Please go to my website, electconrad.com. I need everybody to stand up and, and to be heard. I need your resources and funding. We need to be able to put our collective uh, resources together, and we're going to beat French Hill in, in May 24th. That's going to happen. Amen. And um, and and I I will work my tail off. I took off. I'm going to be off. It's all my sole focus right now is to win this thing, and I want everybody who sees what's going on knows that we got a crazy country right now. The it's the council culture is doing everything to destroy every value that we hold dear, and I am going to fight that tooth and nail. Amen electconrad.com is a website. I just shared it on my Facebook page. Um, Colonel Conrad Reynolds, we hope to soon be calling you uh, U.S. Representative Conrad Reynolds. Um, we appreciate this so much. Um, you know, when I did the, uh, the, the local talk radio show in Little Rock, for months, for months, people were crying out saying, won't somebody primary French Hill. Please let us know who it is. We'll support him. We'll vote for him. So now uh, we appreciate you uh, stepping up to the plate and putting it all on the line. And and God bless you. And we certainly hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. And you will. I'll come on anytime you call. Y'all have a great day. You too. God bless you. Thank you very much. All righty. The Doc Washburn Show, of course, is a national um, talk show, live stream slash podcast over 70% of our um, folks who download the podcast are from outside Arkansas. But I think what's going on in the 2nd District of Arkansas is a microcosm for what's going on in the rest of the country. There are way too many Republicans in name only in that U.S. House of Representatives. 
And for that matter, there, there are way too many Republicans in name only in the United States Senate. There's no question about it. So something needs to be done. Something needs to be done about it. And one of the wonderful things about doing my own podcast is I can come out and support people in a primary. I had been forbidden from doing that when I was doing the, uh, the local the local radio talk show in, uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas. But that's one of, one of the wonderful things about uh, being your own boss. All right, there's a lot there's a lot that we have to talk about today. A lot to get to. And this is a story that I don't think we have discussed yet on the Doc Washburn Show, but there's a new development. Marjorie Hernandez has this over the New York Post. According to a new lawsuit filed yesterday, Alec Baldwin intentionally fired a gun towards cinematographer Helena Hutchins on the Rust movie set disregarding set protocol in the deadly shooting. Wow. Marnie Mitchell, the script supervisor on set, who called 911 when Alec Baldwin shot and killed Hutchins and injured director Joel Souza on October 21st, said, I saw Alec going through his movement with the gun for the camera. She said, I was holding my script in my left hand and had taken out my iPhone and opened up my photos to check the continuity on his shirt and vest. Then an explosion, deafening, loud gunshot. She said, I was stunned. I heard someone moaning and I turned around and my director was falling backwards and holding his upper body and I turned around toward Alec and saw Helena going down to the left of me. In the lawsuit, script supervisor, oh, it's Mamie Mitchell, Mamie Mitchell, claimed Alec Baldwin intentionally, without just cause or excuse, cocked and fired a loaded gun, even though the upcoming scene to be filmed did not call for the cocking and firing of a firearm. She also said, Every safety protocol designed to ensure safety with a firearm on set was ignored, such as the presence of live ammunition on set and that actions that were taken that day were against all industry norms. Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, who was the armorer on the set of the movie Rust, is also named as a defendant in the lawsuit against the actor and the movie production company during a press conference yesterday in Los Angeles her attorney, Gloria Allred, said there were warning signs of the dangerous conditions on the set related to guns just days before the October 21st shooting. She said a camera operator reported there were two gun discharges during a rehearsal in one of the cabin shots. The camera operator allegedly told a production manager in a text, this is super unsafe, according to uh, Gloria Allred, attorney. The attorney added the events that led to the shooting do not constitute simple negligence because Baldwin, the producers, and others were reckless by not following strict guidelines when it comes to having live ammunition and guns on a set. 
Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Baldwin is one of the producers. All right? Just so you know. In the complaint, Mamie Mitchell, who made the complaint, said Baldwin, being an industry veteran, should have known that a prop master or an armorer is the only person who should hand him a gun. Mitchell said the assistant director should not have handed Baldwin the gun and that the actor should have known that he could not rely on the assistant director's representation that it was a cold gun. Mitchell is suing for an unspecified amount for loss of future earnings, special and general damages, attorney's fees, and punitive damages. At the press conference, Mamie Mitchell said she is haunted by the memories of seeing her colleagues and friends shot in front of her. She said, I relive the shooting and sound of the explosion from the gun over and over again. She said, I'm depressed. I don't feel safe. I feel that any moment anything could happen to me. And to those that I care about that are standing close to me, I do not have a sense of guardrails in my life to keep me safe. I'm frightened of the future. This violent tragedy has taken away the joy in my life. Oddly enough, Alec Baldwin did not respond to a request for comment. Uh, you know, I got to tell you, I've withheld comment, but I don't see how you make that mistake. No. No, I, I, I don't see how you make that mistake. How is that possible? Know what I'm saying? Uh, breaking news from uh, Jack Posobiec over at uh, humanevents.com. MSNBC has been banned from the Kenosha courthouse for the duration of the uh, Kyle Rittenhouse trial. By the way, have you seen the, the home video capturing uh, former NFL running back Zach Stacy savagely beating the mother of his child and throwing her around like a rag doll in Florida with a child just feet away? Zach Stacy played for the St. Louis Rams and the New York Jets. Didn't know. Didn't know if you'd... Uh, You'd seen that. It's it's horrific. It's uh, very, very difficult to, to look at. In my humble opinion, people like that belong under the jail. Yeah, here it is. A former New York Jets running back is accused of violently, violently attacking his ex-girlfriend in front of their five-month-old son, at the woman's Florida home on Saturday. <clears throat> Pardon me. 30-year-old Zach Stacy, who played in eight games for the Jets in 2015, allegedly punched his ex in the head several times before tossing her into a TV after coming over to see the baby, TMZ reported, citing sources and court documents. Well, they got the video. 
Stacy then allegedly body slammed her into the boy's bouncy seat. A portion of the horrifying attack was captured on video obtained by the outlet TMZ. In the footage, the woman can be seen falling to the floor during the brutal attack and pleading for the man to stop. In a restraining order application obtained by TMZ, the woman recalled, he punched me several times in the head. I begged him to stop because the baby was on the couch just a few feet from where he punched me. After the attack, the woman called police and Stacy fled the house. It wasn't immediately clear if a judge granted the woman's request for a restraining order. In the application, she wrote, I fear for my life and my children's lives. The woman in the application said she was hospitalized after the attack with bumps and bruises and a possible cut to the head. Zach Stacy's last NFL stint was with the Jets. Before that, he played two seasons for the St. Louis Rams. Well, you know, what she needs to do there in Florida is she needs to get herself a gun, and uh, she needs to get trained with that. And if he uh, comes to the door again, she needs to shoot him. See, that's what I think. No, you know, I've never heard of Zach Stacy before, but I'm just thinking it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Right? Yeah, feeling full of lead. Sure. If he shows up at your door again, breaking that restraining order? Yeah. That's what he needs. Bullet sandwich. Yeah. That's what he needs. So, uh, what's the deal with Senator John Kennedy? We we gotta we gotta find that. We gotta find what he said to uh, this Omarova. Senator John Kennedy grills. Biden nominee Saul Omarovo on allegations of past membership in communist groups. Yeah, uh, this this guy, he's, he's killing it. He's killing it. This Saul Omarova, she uh, was born and raised in the Soviet Union. She's a communist. She wants to get rid of um, private banks, private bank accounts. Wants the Federal Reserve to be able to take your money out of your bank account. And she is Dementia Joe's nominee to be uh, comptroller of the currency. In other words, have oversight over the banks, right? So I think you need to hear John Kennedy's grilling of her just a little bit ago today. Here we go. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. You used to be a member of a group called the Young Communist, didn't you? Senator, uh, are you referring to my membership in the youth communist organization while I was growing up in the Soviet Union? I don't know. I, was, I just I wanted to ask you that question. Well, Senator, I... There was a group called the Young Communists, and you were a member. Is that right? I'm not exactly sure which group you're referring to. Well, the formal name of it is the Leninist Communist Young Union of the Russian Federation. And it's also known as the Leninist 
Komsomol of the Russian Federation. Okay, now wait a minute. Russian Federation, that would have been after the Soviet Union broke up. She is too clever by half. It's commonly referred to as the young communists. Were you a member? Senator, I was born and grew up in the Soviet Union. Yes, ma'am. But were you a member of that organization? Everybody in that country was a member of the Komsomol, which was the communist youth organization. That's not true. Most Russians were not members of the Communist Party. Oh, my goodness. Here's more. So you were, was, you were a member? That was a part of normal progress in school. Um, did you, have you resigned? From the... Youth? From the young communists? You grow out of it with age, automatically. Did, did, you, did, you, did you send them a letter, though, resigning? Senator, this was many, many years ago, as far as I remember how the Soviet Union worked, was at certain age, you automatically stop being a well, member. Could, of could you look at your records and see if you can find a copy uh, of your Senator record? Kennedy, I don't, I don't interrupt. I almost never interrupt these, but... Well, you always Professor, interrupt me, Mr. No, actually, I don't. And Not I nearly as many pursue, times I want I'd like to. No, I, I, she, she renounced her Soviet citizenship. Well, I understand that, but you're... Sherrod Brown, Democrat, interrupting there. Communist himself. Not the witness. She is. Would you look at your records and see if you can find a, a letter of resignation for me? Senator, um, as I explained, I was part of the Soviet population. Yes, ma'am. I got that part. I just want to see if you look at your records and see if you find a letter of resignation. Let, let, me, let me tell you what. I've spent a lot of time on your record and, and here's what I found. Look, this is America. You can believe what you want, but we can't just let anybody be controller of the currency. You wrote your thesis in college at Moscow State University on the title was Karl Marx's Economic Analysis and the Theory of Re- Revolution in the Capital. But you won't send Senator Toomey a copy. You studied at university, at Moscow State University, scientific communism, which is the science regarding the working class struggle and the socialist agenda. In 2019, not 30 years ago, in a Canadian documentary, you called the financial services industry, quote, a quintessential asshole industry. Oh, um, you wrote a paper called Systemically Significant Prices, calling for the federal government to set wages, food, gas prices. In 2020, you wrote a paper called The People's Ledger, where you said we need to abolish bank accounts and make everybody set up an account at the Fed where the federal government will have access to your data. Oh, In 2020, you wrote another paper called The Climate Case for a National Investment Authority, where you said what we need to do, the oil and gas industry, is have the federal government bankrupt them so we can tackle climate change. In 2019, you joined a Facebook group, a Marxist Facebook group, to discuss socialist and anti-capitalist views. Now, that's what I see from your record. 
And you have the right to believe every one of these things. You do. This is America. But I don't mean any disrespect. I, I don't know whether to call you professor or comrade. Oh! Senator, I'm not a communist. I do not subscribe to that ideology. I could not choose where I was born. I did not, I do not remember joining any Facebook group that subscribes to that ideology. I would never knowingly join any such group. What a liar. What a bald faced liar. She obviously is a communist. Obviously is a communist. I got to tell you. Um, I don't hear enough people like Senator Kennedy standing, standing up and speaking out about this. You know? I don't hear enough people standing up and speaking out about the intentional destruction of our country. Fortune magazine, um, Megan Leonhart, this dropped at midnight this morning. Thanksgiving dinners will cost an eye-popping 14% more this year, Farm Lobby says. Yep, inflation hitting Thanksgiving hard this year. A typical Thanksgiving dinner will cost an extra 14% this year, more than double the inflation rate for U.S. food prices. Thanksgiving meal for 10 people, including turkey, stuffing, sweet potatoes, rolls, peas, cranberry sauce, a veggie tray, pumpkin pie, and coffee will average $53.31 this year, or about $6 per person, according to the 36th annual survey from the American Farm Bureau Federation. Last year, the same meal averaged $46.90. The 14% increase actually outpaced the 5.3% year-over-year rise in overall food prices as of last month, according to the latest Consumer Price Index report. The prices of meat, poultry, and fish have been soaring, increasing almost 12% over the past year. Veronica Nye, the Farm Bureau's senior economist, said, taking turkey out of the basket of foods reveals a 6.6% price increase compared to last year, which tracks closely with the consumer price index for food and general inflation across the economy. However, she added this year's total meal price increase was the largest the Farm Bureau has seen in the history of the survey, which started in 1986. And Dementia Joe couldn't care less. He's, he's too busy buddying up with his old buddy, Premier Xi there of China. All right? Which is interesting because uh, I'm looking at the um, an interview here in the Associated Press. With a woman named Meng Hongwei. She's interviewed in Lyon, France by the AP. It says in China, she enjoyed the privileges that flowed from being married to a senior member of the governing elite. 
Her husband was a top police official in the security apparatus that keeps the Communist Party in power, so trusted that China sent him to France to take up a prestigious role at Interpol. But Meng Hongwei, the former president of Interpol, has now vanished into China's sprawling penal system, purged in a stunning fall from grace, and his wife is alone with their twin boys in France, a political refugee under round-the-clock French police protection, following what she suspects was an attempt by Chinese agents to kidnap and deliver them to an uncertain fate. From being an insider, Grace Meng has become an outsider looking in, and she says she's horrified by what she sees. So much so that she's now shedding her anonymity, potentially putting herself and her family at additional risk to speak out against China's authoritarian government that her husband, a vice minister of public security, served before disappearing in 2018. He was later tried and imprisoned. The monster is how Grace Meng now speaks of the government her husband worked for. Quote, because they eat their children, unquote. Hello, excuse me, wait, what? In an exclusive interview with the Associated Press, Grace Meng chose for the first time to show her face, agreeing to be filmed and photographed without the dark lighting and from the back camera angles that she previously insisted on, so she could speak openly and in an unprecedented detail about her husband, herself, and the cataclysm that tore them apart. She told the AP, I have the responsibility to show my face to tell the world what happened during the past three years. I learned, just like we know how to live with COVID, I know how to live with a monster, the authority. Among the global critics of China, many of them now mobilizing against the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing, Grace Meng brings the unique perspective of a former insider who's walked through the looking glass and emerged where the views transformed. So profound is the change that she has largely stopped using her Chinese name, Gao Ji. She says she now feels more herself as Grace, her chosen name, with her husband's surname, Meng. She said, I have died and been reborn. About Meng, his whereabouts and health as an imprisoned, soon-to-be 68-year-old, she's entirely in the dark. The last communication was two text messages he sent on September 25th, 2018, on a work trip to Beijing. The first said, wait for my call. That was followed four minutes later by an emoji of a kitchen knife, apparently signaling danger. She thinks he likely sent them from his office at the Ministry of Public Security. Since then, she says she has had no contact with him and that multiple letters sent by her lawyers to Chinese authorities have gone unanswered. She's not even sure he's alive. She said, this has already saddened me beyond the point where I could be saddened further. Of course, it's equally cruel to my children. Starting to cry, she said, I don't want the children to have no father. Whenever the children hear someone knocking on the door, they always go to look. I know that they're hoping that the person coming inside will be their father, but each time when they realize that it isn't, they silently lower their heads. They're extremely brave. Official word about Meng's fate came out in dribs and drabs. A statement October 2018, just moments after Grace, Grace Meng 
I first met with reporters in Lyon, France, to sound the alarm about his disappearance, announced that he was being investigated for unspecified legal violations. That signaled that he was the latest high-ranking Chinese official to fall victim to a party purge. Interpol, you know, the International Police Agency, announced that Ming had resigned as president, effective immediately. That still infuriates his wife, who says the Lyon, France-based police body was of no help at all. She argues that by not taking a firmer stand, the global, the global organization that works on shared law enforcement issues has only encouraged authoritarian behavior from Beijing. She, she asked, can someone who has been forcibly disappeared write a resignation letter of their own free will? Can a police organization turn a blind eye to a typical criminal offense like this? In 2019, China announced that Meng had been stripped of his Communist Party membership. It said he abused his power to satisfy his family's extravagant lifestyle and allowed his wife to use his authority for personal benefit. January 2020, a court announced he had been sentenced to 13 years and six months in prison on charges of accepting more than $2 million in bribes. The court said he confessed guilt and expressed regret. Yeah, I think a lot of guys in China being held by the government express guilt because they don't want to be uh, killed by the same government. They don't have any freedoms over there, you know. His wife has long maintained the accusations were trumped up and that her husband was purged because he had been using his high-profile position to push for change. She said it's a fake case and it's an example of political disagreement being turned into a criminal affair. The extent of corruption in China today is extremely serious. It's everywhere, but there are two different opinions about how to solve corruption. One is the method used now. The other is to move toward constitutional democracy to solve the problem at its roots. Yeah, that'd be great, but good luck on that. Grace Meng also has political connections through her own family. Her mother served on an advisory board to the Chinese legislature, and the family has previous experience of political trauma. After the communist takeover in 1949, Grace Meng's grandfather was stripped of his business assets and later imprisoned in a labor camp. She says history is repeating itself. Says, of course, this is a great tragedy in our family, a source of great suffering, but I also know that very many families in China today are facing a similar fate to mine. You know, I had hoped that she would have been a little bit more specific about her allegation that uh, the Chinese government eats their children. But we're dealing with the Associated Press and maybe the Associated Press has a habit of... uh, Hiring reporters without much intellectual curiosity. I guess that's what's going on, right? Wouldn't that have been the first thing you would have asked? Okay, wait a minute. What do you mean by that? Can you uh, can you break that down for me? That would have been like one of the first things I would have asked. Okay, um, here's another story I don't know if you've heard about in the media. 
John Solomon's website, justthenews.com, selfie man over there. Pentagon didn't delay sending guardsmen to Capitol on January 6th. Report conflicts with Pelosi narrative. Have you heard about this? Let's take a look. The Pentagon responded appropriately and in a timely fashion to urgent requests for National Guard assistance on the day of the January 6th Capitol breach, according to the Defense Department Inspector General report released Wednesday. The report says we also determined that DOD officials did not delay or obstruct the DOD's response. The report runs counter to the narrative that was spun in large part by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who repeatedly claimed the Pentagon delayed the dispatch of National Guard troops. Former Acting Defense Secretary Chris Miller told the John Solomon Reports podcast an exclusive interview after the report was released that, quote, it broke my heart to see the military, which responded really with alacrity and professionalism, just get thrown under the bus by the politicians. He said, I was so naive, I couldn't believe it. When it came to national security, I thought we were on the same team. I was really horrified that it had become so partisan. The report additionally found that Chris Miller and former Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy acted reasonably in deploying an additional round of soldiers more than three hours after numerous calls for assistance were fielded from D.C. and federal officials. In March, then-Commanding General of the D.C. National Guard, Major General William Walker, testified before the Senate that the Pentagon unnecessarily delayed its response to the request for assistance from the overpowered Capitol Police. Walker asserted the Pentagon kept help from arriving for hours when it might have arrived in minutes. Walker was subsequently interviewed by the Inspector General, but the report found no evidence to support the claim. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that this Walker guy might be a big fan of Dementia Joe. I don't know. Just a, just a hunch. Just, 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 just an inkling that maybe... Maybe he might be a big fan of Dementia Joe. I don't know, man. I don't know. Fauci says COVID-19 booster might become new standard for being vaccinated. So you won't be totally vaccinated unless you get a booster. And another one, and another one, and another one. Know what I'm saying, Holmes? Now, I like the response from uh, John Gabriel in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, who says, shut up, you jug-eared garden gnome. How about that? It's kind of bulky, kind of clunky, but I, I think it's a good nickname for uh, Fauci. You jug-eared garden gnome. Yeah, it works for me. Works for me. Now, I don't know if you've heard about this. But um, Thomas Massey, U.S. representative from Kentucky, an actual conservative, has this. As required by a November 12th federal court ruling, on November 13th, OSHA quietly announced his suspended implementation and enforcement of their vaccine mandate. Yet some companies are plowing forward with their implementation of this illegal and unconstitutional mandate. You know, that brings me to another, well, it's an Arkansas story, uh, but I think it's a microcosm of what's going on in the rest of the country. So there's a guy named Dr. Cam Patterson. He's in charge of the 
UAMS, the Universal University of Arkansas Medical System, and he put out a, an email a few days ago saying, hey, 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 um, we get the majority of our money from the feds, and they say you got to be vaccinated, so you got to be vaccinated. So the head of the University of Arkansas Medical System should be fired because he's breaking state law. I'm going to talk to um, some guys I know in the legislature and ask them if they're going to ask the governor to fire this guy because he's breaking the law. He's breaking the law passed by the legislature that Arkansas state agencies cannot force their employees to be vaccinated, and the governor signed the law. So Cam Patterson needs to be fired. Just so you know. I mean, look, we do a national podcast these days. We're no longer a, a local talk radio show in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. But every once in a while, there it will be an Arkansas story, which has, I think, implications to, um, to the country at whole, the country at large. And that right there will be one of them. All right, Wall Street Journal. Biden asks FTC to examine oil, gas companies' role in high gasoline prices. President cites mounting evidence of anti-consumer behavior by oil and gas companies. No, no. No, no, you idiot. The anti-consumer behavior was when you shut down the Keystone XL pipeline on January 21st. That's the anti-consumer behavior. Uh, the great Brit Hume over at Fox News says it's just a matter of time before this tired old chestnut was brought out along with calls to draw down the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, a backup supply source designed to get the nation through a national security emergency. Yeah. Why does that not surprise me? Because when you have the starting thesis that the guy who was installed in the Oval Office after they stole the election for Trump is playing for the opposing team and is intentionally trying to bring this country to its knees, it all makes sense, doesn't it? It all makes sense. Yes, indeed. And that is obviously, obviously, what he's trying to do. I don't know if you heard about this. The FDA has asked a federal judge to grant it until the year 2076 to fully release Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine data. Now, why do you think that might be? Why do you think that might be? It wants 55 years to produce the information to the public the data and information it relied upon to license Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. Look, I don't know. I don't really have time to listen to radio talk shows these days because I'm trying to prepare for this thing 24-7. Somebody else might be talking about it. I don't know. But one thing I do know is we're going to talk about it. I'm trying to let you know what's going on in the world. 
the great Charlie Kirk, founder and president of Turning Point USA, says, when is the nationally covered trial for the thug who murdered retired police officer David Dorn last summer in St. Louis? That's a good question, Charlie. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Um, so uh, Channel 7 out of uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, has a story. University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, UAMS, announced Monday that vaccines will be mandated for all healthcare employees. Uh, Jake Paquette, Jake Paquette, uh, former football player from the New England Patriots, Arkansas Razorbacks, former Army Ranger, conservative, challenging the Republican incumbent in the U.S. Senate, Republican primary next May, says if you're an illegal alien, UAMS will treat you at taxpayer expense. If you're a hardworking nurse who doesn't want the vaccine, UAMS will violate state law to fine you. Pardon me, violate state law to fire you. To fire you. Well, legislators need to be calling on Governor Hutchinson to fire Dr. Patterson for breaking the law. How hard would that be? Excruciatingly hard for uh, for Aza because he's a totalitarian himself. We call him asymptomatic Aza Hutchinson. He likes vaccine mandates. Just so you know. Now, as long as uh, as long as we're censuring members of the U.S. House of Representatives, I got one for you. How about Cory Bush, Missouri? You hear about this? Washington Free Beacon, Colin Anderson has a story. Local police say they have no records that corroborate squad member Cory Bush's claim that white supremacists shot at protesters in Ferguson, Missouri, following the death of Michael Brown. Cory Bush, Democrat Missouri congresswoman and defund the police activist, said earlier this week, quote, when we marched in Ferguson, white supremacists would hide behind a hill near where Michael Brown Jr. was murdered and shoot at us, unquote. She added that the alleged shooters never faced consequences. According to Ferguson Police Chief Frank McCall, however, there's no record of any such incident. Frank McCall, the city's fourth black police chief, told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch newspaper, not that I'm aware of. Congresswoman Cori Bush, who did not return a request for comment, defended her claim with her campaign telling the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, quote, while on the front lines of the Ferguson uprising, Congresswoman Bush and other activists were shot at by white supremacist vigilantes, unquote. Uh, there is at least one shooting that occurred in the wake of Michael Brown's death that matches Cori Bush's description of coming from behind a hill in Ferguson. But in that instance, two police officers were shot outside the Ferguson police headquarters, nearby protesters said the shots came from a hill behind a dwindling group of, of demonstrators who were gathered across from the police department. Jeffrey Williams, a 22-year-old black man, eventually confessed to the shooting and was sentenced to 25 years in prison. 
While Congresswoman Cori Bush has argued that investing more money in policing is always bad, the Democrats spent nearly $70,000 on private security between April 15th and June 28th on her own bad self. Cori Bush in August stood by the expenditures telling her critics to, quote, suck it up and defunding the police needs to happen, unquote. Oh, oh okay. During a CBS News appearance, the racist Cori Bush said, so if I end up spending $200,000, if I spend $10 more on it, you know what? I get to be here to do the work. So suck it up and defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police and put that money into social safety nets because we're trying to save lives, unquote. Come on, man. In addition to her anti-police activism, Corey Bush spent years working as a faith healer for a group that says it has resurrected the dead and cured a number of diseases, including AIDS, cancer, paralysis, and Corey Bush's own severe case of coronavirus. Really? Kingdom Embassy International presiding apostle Charles Nidifon told the Washington Free Beacon in May, quote, Corey, she had COVID and she called me from the hospital and 30 minutes later, she was breathing, healed. It was that simple, unquote. What, did you give her ivermectin? Oh! Nidifon's account was corroborated by fellow church leader Chris Chris, who said Nidifon murdered Bush's coronavirus. He added, uh, <laughs> he said, that's why I walk in confidence without no face mask. That's why I walk in confidence with no gloves. He added he was ready to go march in the streets and just bam, Hulk smash Corona. Oh, okay. Look, I I, I got to take a drink of water. I got to take a drink of water. So let me uh, let me just play a little thing for you here. This will be uh, this will be quick and painless. All right. Thanks for listening to the Doc Washburn Show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. Many of you have asked, how can we help support the show? Really easy. Go to DocWashburnShow.com and click Become a Patron at the top right corner of the website or click the Podbean logo where it says, Be My Patron on Podbean. We sure do appreciate your support of the Doc Washburn Show. All right, there we go. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So, um, craft peanut butter, craft peanut butter, you know, craft is a big food company, right? They have all kinds of stuff. I didn't realize they had peanut butter. I know they got uh, Mac and cheese. They put something out on Twitter. It says for trans awareness week, we want to make the world more inclusive, so we're releasing a book with our friend Nick North about the importance of using pronouns. Available on November 20th with proceeds going to something called Rainbow Railroad. See, Rainbow Railroad says we help LGBTQ people escape persecution of violence around the world. You can help save lives. So here's what uh, Kraft Peanut Butter is saying out there on social media. It's only 12 seconds long. Huh. I don't hear any audio. They got a video without any audio, so I guess I'll just have to read it to you, okay? 
It says, for Trans Awareness Week, Crunchy and Smoothie, they got a couple of teddy bears, want to learn about pronouns with you. Oh, I see. Uh, so they wrote a book with their friend Nick North, and they have a picture of this book, Craft Peanut Butter Presents His, Hers, Them, and Theirs, Learning Pronouns with the Bears by Nick North. And beside Nick North, it says he, him. Oh, I see. I see. It says, because when we stick together to make people feel included, we build a better world. And it has a picture of the two teddy bears with the craft logo on there. I see. Okay. Now, there are a number of uh, responses to craft peanut butter, pushing transgenderism and pronouns on little kids. Responses like this. I thought you were a food company. Or this. Stay away from our children. Stupid business decision, craft. Or this. We're living in an era of woke capitalism in which companies pretend to care about social justice to sell products to people who pretend to hate cap- capitalism. How about this? You're mentally ill. How about this? What on earth has this got to do with selling food products? Why are you inserting yourself in this? Utterly bizarre. Oh, let's check this out. Who owns Kraft Heinz Company? Berkshire Hathaway. That's uh, Warren Buffett, right? Berkshire Hathaway holds a stake in Kraft Heinz with a uh, little over 26.5% stake and over 325 million shares. It's followed by minority holders, including Vanguard, SSGA Funds Management, and BlackRock Fund Advisors. BlackRock, isn't that that company that's uh, buying up all the... Um, all the single-family homes all over the country try to turn them into rental property, try to uh, make us vassals of the state forever and ever. Here's one that says, Kraft has been our go-to peanut butter brand. We buy a jar every two to three weeks. No more, however, peddling gender woo to small children is offensive. Yeah, I'm done. I'm out. Absolutely. Absolutely. John Hayward over the Breitbart, a guy that I like to uh, quote on a regular basis, says, leftists can threaten to kill a judge, jurors, and their families. It's no big deal. They can even do it on social media without violating any standards. But if you object, if you object to the ideological indoctrination of school children, the FBI treats you like Al-Qaeda. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm about sick and tired of hearing that, oh, it's only some of the... Uh, the main guys at the top on the FBI, you know, uh, the rank and file. Yeah. The rank and file They're They're mostly, uh, upstanding. No, give me a break. I got something here, um, from Jack Phillips over the epic times.com. I don't know if you heard about this. The FDA confirmed Thursday. It is recalling some 2 million Illum at home COVID-19 testing because they can produce false positives due to a manufacturing defect. Hear about that? I'll put it on my Facebook page. I'll put it on my Facebook page. Just uh, just thought you'd want to know. Just thought you'd want to know. So Judge Bruce, Bruce Schroeder in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial called out the media yesterday saying he'll think twice about live broadcasting one of his trials again 
due to the grossly irresponsible reporting on rulings in Kyle Rittenhouse's case. It went something like this. When I talked about um, problems with the media when this trial started, that's, we're there in part, not, not fully, but in part, because of grossly irresponsible handling of what comes out of this trial. I will tell you this, uh, I'm going to think long and hard about uh, live television of a trial again next time. I don't know. I, I, I've always been a firm believer in it because I think the people should be able to see what's going on. But when I see what's being done, it's really quite frightening. Frightening, that's the right word for it. Well, see, I think that the trials definitely should be televised because then we can fight back. We can fight back what the media is saying. I'm saying that's what I think, but you know, what do I know? What do I know? Yeah, man, we got a whole bunch of people, uh, liking the show over there on the Podbean app and a whole bunch of people liking the fact that, uh, U S representative French Hill now has a primary opponent. Colonel Conrad Reynolds. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. So, Dementia Joe, they were bringing him out to to give a little, to say a little something to the press. And they have to lead him around like he's uh, an elderly dementia patient with something like this. That's what happens when my computer resets itself. So once I'm on the blue marker, huh? Yeah, the blue, and I, I got to take orders. Here, you're here. Okay. Okay. Uh, so again, uh, Jim Quick is here, and he's going to introduce. I stand on the blue marker, huh? Yeah, the blue. Uh, got to take orders. You're here. <laughs> and he goes right past it. <laughs> What a knucklehead. What a knucklehead. I got to share this uh, from uh, Melissa Tate. Remarkable conservative over there on Twitter. Breaking Biden's FBI sent 25 heavily armed agents to raid a 70-year-old gold star mother and precinct whistleblower who exposed election fraud. They even brought a uh, a batting ram, battling ram, to break down her door, they ceased. They seized all her devices. This is fascist intimidation by the Biden regime, and she's got a uh, a link. If you'd like to know more about the story, visit her website and support her. Her 27 year old son was a Navy SEAL who died in service to this country, and now his mother's being intimidated by a bunch of FBI goons sent by the fascists in the White House. Melissa Tate says, "I'm so angry." Imagine an elderly woman who lives alone waking up to find dozens of armed FBI agents with automatic weapons and a battering ram. They could have simply called her lawyer and simply asked she turned the devices in, but they must intimidate to send a message to others not to speak up. All you people going along with this, is this really the country you want to live in? You think you'll be left alone for going along with it, right? You don't know history if you think that. This totalitarian communism we're seeing in America will devour us all, including you. So let's take a look. Tina Peters Legal Defense Fund 
stand with Tina, our brave public official has finally stepped forward to blow the whistle on the lack of transparency and security in our elections, and the left is determined to take her down. Tina needs your help today. I'll link to it on my Facebook page. Probably get suspended again. Tina Peters is the courageous county clerk of Mesa County, Colorado, in charge of the county's elections after hundreds of citizens brought her their experiences of significant election irregularities. She became deeply concerned about the security of the last election. Her pursuit of answers has been met with powerful resistance and Democrat-controlled federal, state, and local governments are coming after her hard. All right. Including FBI agents showing up at dawn. Uh, That's messed up. Now, speaking of election irregularities, there's a new whistleblower out there. And this is um, Delaware County, Delaware County, uh, Pennsylvania. Don't know if you've heard about this. The great uh, Margot Cleveland, who writes for the Federalist, D.C. Examiner, she's um, she's got the goods. She's got the uh, receipts over at her uh, Twitter page. So I got the audio for you. Whistleblower, undercover video of people destroying evidence, Delaware County, Pennsylvania, on the last election. This is Jim Savage and James Allen discussing getting rid of the pads and second scanners. Pads and the second scanner. All right, that's number one. Number two, from the whistleblower, Delaware County, Pennsylvania. Here is Tom Gallagher again, lawyer for Delaware County, destroying voting machine tapes to bypass the right to know request. And then let them try to figure out what we did. Tom, why do you have to rip it off? Make school better? Yeah. We are it's just so many cops. I don't want anybody to pick it out and take the crew stuff flat. Oh. We're going to have a little campfire going. Get a little campfire going as they're destroying evidence of malfeasance in the last election in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. Now remember, there are plenty of rhinos in Congress who continue to tell you that there was no cheating, that Dementia Joe won fair and square. Each one of them needs to be primaried. A lot of them are being primaried, including French Hill in the 2nd District of Arkansas. Here is uh, the third and final video audio from the whistleblower, Delaware County, Pennsylvania, blowing the whistle on the destruction of evidence a malfeasance in last November's presidential election. What we have here is evidence. What we have there is evidence. Right? Let them figure that out. 
if what I don't understand, and this makes honestly this makes me nervous, is why tapes were being thrown away. So what is no tape for? No, you guys have been throwing away tapes. So what tapes are you throwing away? Like why? They don't have unidentified. There's no way they could uh, like. But we've been that way since the November election, so why would you throw anything away? Because you have to save it for 22 months. Well, let's put it this way. Yes, there are tapes that are being tossed, but they are of no audit value. Just thought you should know. Most people in Washington couldn't care less. Uh, by the way, the great uh, Joe Concha, media and political columnist over the Hill, contributor over Fox News. He's out there on Twitter this morning saying, breaking, Judge Schroeder in Rittenhouse case says police pulled over a man claiming he was instructed to follow the jury bus and take photos of the jurors. He ran a red light and was ticketed. Judge adds, MSNBC will not be allowed in the courthouse for the remainder of the trial. Man claims to be James T. Morrison of MSNBC, says he was under orders to follow and photograph the jury per the judge. Judge was confirming a report from the Kenosha Police Department. Note, just to be clear, we don't know if this is someone saying they're an MSNBC producer or an actual producer. The man claims to be such, and the network will confirm or deny and 20 minutes later, Morrison is a freelancer per the network, MSNBC. Network denies he was following the bus. Well, of course they deny it. Of course they deny it. Sounds like jury tampering and intimidation to me. I agree with the, uh, the great David Webb. Talk show host over in the uh, Sirius XM Patriot Channel. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Jury tampering and intimidation. Just thought you want to know. Just thought you want to know. Now, I don't know. Did you hear about the... Um, the story of the lab worker finding vials labeled smallpox at the Merck Pharmaceutical Facility? Daniel Horowitz at The Blaze says something doesn't smell right here. Remember, Bill Gates warned about something like this, specifically referring to smallpox just a few days ago. TheHill.com has this. A researcher at a Merck facility outside Philly found several vials that were labeled smallpox, according to a local TV station. The vials were found in a freezer Monday night, and an alert was sent out to the Department of Homeland Security. According to WPVI-TV in Philadelphia, the news outlet noted there are two Merck sites near Philadelphia. However, it said it cannot confirm where which one the vials were discovered in. CDC sent an email to thehill.com. There's no indication that anyone has been exposed to a small number of frozen vials. CDC said the frozen vials, labeled smallpox, were incidentally discovered by a laboratory worker while cleaning out a freezer in a facility that conducts vaccine research in Pennsylvania. CDC, its administration partners, and law enforcement are investigating the matter, and the vials' contents appear intact. CDC added the laboratory worker, 
who discovered the vials was wearing gloves and a face mask. We'll provide further details as they're available. Yeah. Yeah, well, we can always trust the CDC, right? CDC can't even figure out that only women get pregnant. We always trust the CDC. Sure. That's not a problem. Who wouldn't want to unquestionably trust the CDC? Good grief. Good grief. So, I don't know if you heard about this story. Christopher Rufo has this over at um, City Journal. Some crazy stuff here. Enemies of the school board. Parents in some school districts find their input suppressed and their dissent criminalized. Yeah. They get arrested. School boards have always attracted their share of controversies, disagreements over curriculum, bitter election fights, and personality clashes. But in recent months, as parents expressed their frustration over COVID lockdowns, mask mandates, and critical race theory, local school districts and federal law enforcement have upped the ante by monitoring parents, requesting undercover agents at school board meetings, and even arresting parents who attend board meetings to express dissent. The latest and most egregious example comes from Round Rock, Texas. That's just a little bit north of Austin, a little bit uh, northeast of Austin. In a series of school board meetings this fall, two fathers, a minister named Jeremy Story and a retired Army captain named Dustin Clark, spoke out against alleged corruption and school officials' hostility towards parents. Journalist Pedro Gonzalez reported that in an August meeting, Reverend Story had calmly produced evidence that the board had covered up an alleged assault by the superintendent, Hafed Aziz, against a mistress. The superintendent and school board president cut him off mid-sentence and ordered officers to remove him from the premises. At the next meeting in September, with the district's controversial mask mandate on the agenda, the school board locked the majority of parents out of the room, preventing them from speaking. Clark and other frustrated parents asked the board to open the nearly empty room to the public. Instead, school board president Amy Ware directed officers to remove Clark from school property as he was dragged out by two officers who were, by the way, just following orders. Clark shouted to the audience, it's an open meeting. Shame on you, communist. Communists let the public in. A few days later, the school district, in coordination with law enforcement, sent police officers to the home of both men, arrested them, and put them, on ch- and put them in jail on charges of disorderly conduct with intent to disrupt the meeting. Families and supporters of Story and Clark held an all-night protest outside the jail until the men were released the following morning. They are now raising funds for their legal defense. The school board was able to do this because the Round Rock, Texas, Independent School District has its own police force. With a three-layer chain of command, patrol units, school resource officers, a detective, and a canine unit. The department serves under the authority of the board and through coordination with other agencies, apparently has the power to order the arrest of citizens in their homes. For many parents, the school board is sending a message, if you speak out against us, we will turn you into criminals. 
When reached for comment, the school district's police department confirmed that it initiated the investigation and that, quote, one board member requested details from the RRISD police, unquote, prior to the criminal referral. Round Rock, Texas is not the only school board to, res to resort to repressive tactics to stifle defense. In Loudoun County, Virginia, for example, where parents have protested against critical race theory and a sexual assault cover-up, the superintendent asked the county sheriff to deploy a SWAT team, riot control unit, and undercover agents to monitor parents at school board meetings. The sheriff refused, telling the superintendent that he had not provided any justification for such a manpower-intensive request. But the mere attempt was astounding. Even the FBI, remember them? Heard of them? Even the FBI, under the direction of Attorney General Merrick Garland, has mobilized to monitor parents at school board meetings and, if necessary, prosecute them under domestic terrorism laws. The National School Boards Association, which had requested the federal intervention in a letter to the Justice Department, was later forced to apologize after state chapter, chapters strenuously objected to the tone and content of that letter. Yet the Biden administration has moved forward with the effort, creating a task force of federal agents and attorneys to coordinate against parent protesters. The bad lines are clear. On one side, the Biden administration, public school bureaucrats, and their armed agents on the other side, Parents and families who oppose school closures, mass mandates, critical race theory, and corruption. Public school officials have demonstrated a willingness to use police power to silence and intimidate their opponents. If parents are, are to succeed, protesters must continue to organize peacefully and highlight corruption and abuses of power by local school officials. Reverend Story said, this isn't just about Dustin Clark and me. It's about everyone. If they can come for us and get away with it, school boards nationwide will be emboldened to come for you. He is right, and, and parents must work together to stop it. That is Christopher L. Rufo, senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute and a contributing editor of City Journal, the article's entitled Enemies of the School Board. Enemies of the School Board. I got to tell you, there's so much. There's so much going on, and I'm blessed. I'm blessed to be allowed to be here on a daily basis to help get the word out to you. It's a blessing. I don't know if I've mentioned this. Let me throw this in before we uh, before we take off. Daily Wire has a story. Rittenhouse judge receives hundreds of vile messages wishing most heinous homicide on his kids and threatening his own life. This is what we're up against. This is what we're up against. All right. Um... <clears throat> I really appreciate our first guest coming on the program today, um, Colonel Conrad Reynolds. And the website, if you want to uh, know more about the gentleman who has the guts to challenge a rhino 
the Republican primary coming up May 24th, challenging French Hill, U.S. Representative. The website is electconrad.com. All righty. So this has been episode 28. You've been listening to the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's ep- episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Whitehall Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier the 10th. Well, that's the way it is. Thursday, November 18th, 2021.